Well, welcome to The Exchange Online. I'm Hal Mayer. I'm the pastor over our young adult ministry here at Grace Family Church. I'd like to welcome you guys to this Tuesday night, or like what we like to call it in our household, shower night. Um, no, I'm kidding. It's Friday night too. But we are all in quarantine together, and I know we're all feeling it. This is our third night of The Exchange Online. I know it's felt like the third month of The Exchange Online, but it really hasn't been that long. But we are in this state right now of just waiting, right? We're waiting for the news. We're waiting for things to change. We're waiting for this to lift up. And in that moment, we're trying to figure out what do we do. And here's what I know. As a nation, we hate waiting. We do. We had Amazon that delivered in a good amount of time. But that wasn't fast enough. So we had Prime, which is two days. And then we, now we have Prime now, which is two hours. I mean, we can't just go out and get food. We have to have it delivered so that we can watch a show while we have something delivered. I mean, we don't like waiting. For me, there's a couple instances I hate waiting. Traffic, of course. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter why we're waiting. It doesn't matter if I knew the wreck was going to be there. It doesn't matter. The other day, I actually got mad at a train for existing. I'm like, why do trains still exist? Why do we still put stuff in trains and go across. I thought we had trucks or planes or something to do this, but I got stopped at a train stop. So I had railroad crossing. So I had to stop and I hated watching that train go by for what felt like 30 minutes, right? I mean, other times, what is it? On a plane, when everybody's about to get off the plane, it feels like forever. Why? Because everybody stands up. I mean, for me, if you've never seen this before, you should come with me to Walmart because it's guaranteed to happen. It's getting in line behind somebody that's paying with a check. I don't know why they're always in my line, but they are always there and they can never find a pen, but they feel the need to use a check. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, for some of you, you are that person that tells the microwave to hurry up, right? We, we don't like waiting. We don't like to wait depending on different occasions, different things that are going on. Some of you are patient and that's great for you, but I'm going to be talking to the rest of us tonight. Those of us that can't stand to wait. We're incredibly impatient, especially when we see something coming up, a goal, an accomplishment, something in front of us that we just want to reach out for. But here's what's interesting is God's been telling humanity, God's been telling the human race to wait many different times. In fact, when you go back to the beginning of time, you have Adam and Eve, they sin. They realize that the sin has separated them from God. God says, I'm going to send a savior. They have to wait, literally, the Israelites wait hundreds of years till the savior shows up. Jesus shows up. He lives a perfect life. He tells everybody he's God. He dies on the cross. He rise, rise, raises from the dead three days later, which we're celebrating this weekend. And what does he do? He tells his followers, hey, I'm alive. Tell the world that you know that I lived, but... But we talked about this last week. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. So what are the disciples doing right now? They're waiting. What is the early church doing right now? They are waiting and they're having a hard time doing it. And we all have a hard time waiting. Some of you are students right now. You just have a little bit of time left and it feels like forever. Some of you, new dating relationship. The wait is forever. You're waiting for life to get back to normal so you can actually date normally. For some of you, you're in the worst possible relationship situation there is out there. At least I believe engagement. You're like, why is that bad? It's because you've already decided you want to get married. You've already decided you want to live life together, but you're waiting for that final day to come, that wedding. We don't like waiting. Jesus shows up to the church, says, I want you to proclaim to the world what you know, but I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. 
So how do you react when you're told to wait? Some of you, what do you do? You just plow through it, right? You make a mess of it. You, you do everything wrong. And then afterwards, you have to come around and say, forgive me, right? We, we do those things. Some of you just busy yourself or focus on it and become bitter that you have to wait. Well, today we're going to look at what the early church did. How did they wait and what did they do in those times? We're going to start off in Acts chapter 1, which is where we started off last week. But in verse 12, it says this. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those that were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, which is probably a political orientation, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. First off, that Judas there, not that other Judas, not the one that betrayed him. It's a different Judas. There was two Judases that were disciples. It would stink really bad to be that one, right? I mean, you tell people like, man, Jesus came back. I'm an apostle. I'm telling you about what I saw. They're like, oh, really? You're an apostle. What's your name? And they're like, Judas. They're like, oh, well, not that Judas, the, the good Judas. They're like, there's a good Judas? Yeah, there's a good Judas. I promise. I'm the good one, right? How bad would that have been to be him? But in this moment, what do you see? You see the people that are showing up. One, it says there were men and women because there's both men and women in leadership at the time. You see Jesus' family and what are they coming together to do? Jesus just gave them the biggest mission in the world. They're doing three things that we can do today. They gather, they pray, and they unify. They gather, they pray, they unify. They're coming together, making sure everyone's on the same page and praying about the mission that Jesus gave them. And among them, was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a couple of his brothers. We know that Jesus had at least five brothers and two sisters. But we see Mary and the brothers. And this is why this is a big deal. Because when you look in the Bible, when Jesus started his ministry, the first moment he goes, hey, guys, I'm God. Hey, you should follow me. His family went, whoa, 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 what? They, they actually told everybody, they're like, hey, don't listen to him. He's insane. Hey, Jesus, come inside with us. Come on, get out of the street. You're hot. You're probably, you know, low on water. You're dehydrated. And they tried to get him away. They didn't believe he was God. And I've always struggled with wondering why was that? I think the reason is there's a difference between not sinning and being just perfect. See, Jesus didn't sin, but that didn't mean Jesus didn't scuff his knee. It didn't mean Jesus didn't mess up in different areas. It didn't mean that when Jesus tried something, he didn't fail at it. So his mom, his brothers, his sisters, all of them at the beginning of his ministry said, don't listen to him, he's crazy. But by the end of it, after Jesus came back, they said, he's the son of God. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my mom absolutely loves me. She loves me more than my sister. I'll just be honest. Ashley, if you're listening, I'm sorry, it's true, but you know that. She loves me more than my sister. But if I ever tried to tell her that I was perfect, she would say something like, oh, honey, bless your heart. Let me explain to you why you're not. I mean, think about this. His mom said he was God and so did his brothers and sisters. How many of you have an older brother? How many of you would say your older brother is closer to God or to Satan? <laughs> I mean, some of you had the scars to prove it. Yet his brothers were saying that he was God so much so that two of them, James and Jude, became apostles, became pastors, and wrote two of the books of the Bible. I mean, they went from saying Jesus was crazy to risking their lives. 
I mean, it wasn't like they were making money off of it. It's not like Jesus had written a book at that moment and they're making money off the residuals. It was dangerous. If they got found out that they were following him, they could be killed for it. Yet they chose to follow after Jesus. All these people decided to come together for this moment. It tells us in Acts 1.15 how many showed up. It says, during this time, there's about 120 believers were together in one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. They gathered together to pray, to come together, and to talk about these things. Now, notice there's 120 people. How many people did we say showed up, like Jesus showed up to? It's over 500. Some people even say 1,000. So over 500 people saw Jesus after he raised from the dead. We got 120 people here. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes it's not that the mind is unconvinced, it's that the heart is unwilling. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes it's not because there's a lack of resources, not because there's a lack of proof. It's that as our hearts, us being evil like we are, we want to do things our own way. It's not that we don't see the proof. It's that we don't want someone else having a different plan for our lives. I've got to say this, many people that I've walked across that reject God, it's not because there's not enough proof. It's not because of the questions that they're saying. It's because they don't want someone else to have a better plan for their lives. So 120 people show up and they pray. They pray. Here's why. Unity follows prayer. Unity follows prayer. And that's tough for some of us because some of us, when it comes to prayer, we don't pray. We just go in right away. We know God wants us to do something. So we just go in and what do we do? We ask for forgiveness later. God, can you please just fix the mess that I made is our prayer. Some of you, you pray a lot. You pray a ton, but you never follow through with any action. You just want God to do it, but you don't want to be involved in it. Here's the truth. It's both. It's prayer and action and prayer always precedes action. For those of you that are action-oriented, hear this. Prayer is not wasted time. It's invested time. Okay? Prayer is not wasted time. It's invested time. And some of you say this. You say, you know, I've never seen a miracle. I want you to understand this. Prayer is a miracle. The fact that we as human beings get to have a conversation, get to communicate with a God who is on another plane, who is on a spiritual plane is incredible. In fact, prayer is something that we get to participate in. It's a miracle that we get to participate in. And it all happened. Why? Because Jesus became that mediator between us, imperfect selves on this earth and a perfect God. See, every time we get to pray, we get to be a part of a miracle in our lives. So what are they doing? They're gathering together and they're praying because they know prayer works. Prayer works. But I want you to understand something. Prayer is not getting God to do something. It's allowing God to do something in us. Okay? Prayer is not getting God to do something. It's allowing God to do something in us because... While prayer is used many times to ask God for things, most of the time what prayer does is this, is it changes us so that God can use us. It changes our character. It changes our wants. It changes our desires so that God can use us in what he is already doing. Why? Because do we change hearts? No. But can God change ours? He absolutely can. He can change who we are so he can use us for something more. They're gathered together. They're asking God to change their hearts. They're asking God to unify their hearts for something more. 
See, what prayer does is it constantly reminds us that we can trust God, that he has a better plan, and it's what he wants to do. So what was the equation for unity in the church? It was easy. Gathering plus praying equals unifying. For the church then and the church today, it's the same equation. Gathering plus praying equals unifying. Some people look at churches and they say they have a unity problem. Here's the truth. They don't have a unity problem. They have a prayer problem. They have a prayer problem. See, the problem is they're not getting together and praying. Therefore, there is not unity in the church because what does God do during prayer? And when we gather together, he brings our hearts together. He makes us one together. So they're gathering, they're praying, as they're unifying. Let me just say this. This goes for any relationships. Some of you right now, you're in lockdown. Your roommate is annoying you. You're having a hard time. What should you do? Gather, get together, pray for one another, pray with one another. That equals unity. Those of you that are having issues with your family, what do you do? You gather, you pray for one another, you pray with one another. You have an issue with your small group. Somebody just will not stop uh, unmuting their microphone. What do you do? You gather together, you pray for one another, and you pray with one another. Guys, when you get married and there's a problem with unity, you gather together, you pray with each other, you pray for one another. Why? When you pray together and for one another, God breaks down walls. God breaks down walls. Prayer plus gathering equals unifying. See, that's what God wants us to do in the church. And let me just say, exchange, we will never accomplish the mission that God has for each of our lives and our ministry if we don't pray. If we don't pray and gather. So we look in verse 16. This is the reason that they've come together. He said, brothers, he said, the scriptures have to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas, what Judas did was predicted in the Bible. It says, Judas was one of us and shared in ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, splitting out his intestines. This kind of a gory idea of what happened to Judas. It says, then the news of his death spread to all the people in Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akedelma, which means a field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were there with us the entire time we were traveling with Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken with us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. What's going on? They have a tough decision ahead of them. They have to replace Judas. They, they know it's got to be someone that was there with them from the beginning. I know we always talk about the 12 disciples, but there were people that were following Jesus the entire time. And what do we need to do? We need to find someone to take his place. What do you see? Two things here. One, you see Peter rising up as the head of the church like Jesus said he would. If you guys remember, he said, Peter, you're going to be the rock which he is going to build his church. And the second thing is you see Peter using scripture to decide what to do next. Guys, please understand that scripture is incredibly important. Many times we use prayer to talk to God. God uses scripture to talk to us. Now, does God talk through prayer? Yes. Does God talk through other people? Yes. But the main way God talks to us is through scripture. And this is very important for us to understand. This is one of the reasons why we need to read scripture. It's one of the reasons why when we talk about in our devotion, we're going through Luke and Acts. It's so important to understand what Jesus said and what the early church did. Why? So it controls how we live our lives. Some of us, many times we're asking God for answers to something that he already told us to answer for. There's things in the Bible that we know are sin. There's things in the Bible we know we shouldn't do. 
The Bible says, do not commit adultery. You can't sleep with somebody else when you're married. But I've had a guy come up to me and tell me, I said, hey, why did you cheat on your wife? He said, well, I felt God told me that's what I should do. I said, that's not God. There's no way that's God. And you know how we know that's not God? It already says it in the Bible. For some of us, we're wrestling with things we were never meant to wrestle with. Guys, I know this. We need to wrestle with a lot of things in Christianity and what we should and shouldn't do. But there's things that God already outlined for us in the Bible. And what Peter is doing is he's doing what every good leader should do. He starts off looking at what God's word says about their current situation. Let me just say this. You don't follow a leader that doesn't follow the Bible. So what happens? This is what happens in verse 23. It says, so they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. As an apostle, replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to be an apostle with the other 11. Now, two things I want to point out there. One, Matthias was selected. He actually ended up becoming the apostle to modern-day Ethiopia. The second thing that you see there is they cast lots. It sounds weird. It's like they just cast dice. It's like, why would they do that? And just understand, this is not like they were, you know, at the casinos or something like that. Here's what the situation that was going on. Both were viable options. Both of these men were godly men. Both of these men were with them since the beginning. They they wanted to make a decision, so they cast lots. And here's what their belief was. If it's the wrong thing, God will correct it. And let me just say this. For some of you in your life, you're in a situation right now where you have two different things that you you could do. Both of them are absolutely good things. The answer to that is not to just sit there and continue to sit there. Sometimes the answer is just to go ahead and if it's the wrong way, God will show you. I've had many conversations with some of you and you're like, give me some advice. This is going on and this is going on. Like both of them are good. Both of them are godly. Both of them have their pros. Sometimes we just need to move. So what are they doing? They're moving. They're saying, God, if this is wrong, tell us it's wrong. And so Matthias became the 12th disciple. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at two people here. You've got Judas and you've got Peter. And two very different situations, but two similar. Now, both of them had Jesus as a pastor, greatest pastor you could have. Both of them had the apostles, the other disciples, as small group leaders. I mean, guys in their small group with them, that would be incredible. Both had the same mission. Both had Jesus pray over them. Both of them also failed Jesus. Both of them absolutely failed Jesus. Jesus pretended, Judas pretended to be a Christian. Judas pretended to follow after them, but it says in the Bible, he stole from the ministry the entire time. See, Judas kept the books and the entire time Judas was taking money and using it for himself. And when it was between money and his friend, he sold out his friend Jesus for the money. He betrayed Jesus, and because of what he felt when he realized what he did, he committed suicide. See, I want you to understand this from Judas's life. You can be close to Jesus, but not close to him. You can be close to other Christians that are close to Jesus, but not be close to Jesus himself. Now, you look at Peter similar situation. He followed after God this entire time. And when he had a moment, he followed after Jesus. What happens? He goes to Jesus's trial. And on three different occasions, he's asked if he's a follower of Jesus. And on three different occasions, he denies Jesus. One time to a middle school girl, he denies Jesus. They both betray Jesus, but they both respond very differently. Judas takes his own life 
Peter apologizes to Jesus and he forgives him. See, one brought his sins to Jesus, one brought his sins to the grave. Guys, understand this. We can bring our sin to Jesus or we can allow our sins to bring us to the grave. We can allow God to write our story or we can allow Satan. The longer we allow sin to take control and get a root in our lives, the longer we're allowing Satan to say what our life is worth and what it's meant for. See, even if you don't commit suicide like Judas did, if you live a life where you don't repent of sin, we spend a life being dead to what God has called us to do. See, Peter saw his moment. He knew he had messed up. He denied Jesus three times. What does he do? He asks Jesus for forgiveness and Jesus forgives him and then gives him a story where he gets to use that denial to bring other people to him. Guys, we know this. Many times our greatest sin is the source of our greatest story. It's the source of our greatest ministry and God wants to use it in our lives. We have to choose not to be like Judas in this moment and allow our sin to define our story the way Satan wants to. See, there's two big things in this message. The first one is what the church did. It's gather, pray, and unify, which we can do right now. It's online, it's different, but we can still do it. The second thing is this, is to confess your sins. Some of you, you're sitting at home right now and it's actually worse. You're sitting in a place and all you're doing is you're thinking about your past failures. All you're doing right now is thinking about what you could have done, what you should have done and what you didn't do. And some of you are thinking about what you did do and you don't wanna think about it anymore. You don't have to live with that. God said, if you confess your sins, he's gonna forgive you. And he, then after that point, he can use you to do so much more. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that we still have the opportunity in this moment to gather, to pray, and to unify on what we should be doing. God, I thank you for the mission that you have for us, which is still the same as it was for the early church. Proclaim that you are God over all, that your son created a way between our earth and where we're at right now and you in heaven. God, I pray also for all of us right now, we're sitting there, maybe in this extra time, our sin has become a cloud over our lives. God, I pray that you would help us have the courage to confess. And God, I pray we would confess it tonight. We would let it out. We would confess it and allow you to be the one now that writes the story for our lives. God, we thank you that you are a God that will continue to forgive us, will continue to give us second chances, no matter what we've done or where we have gone or who we have wronged. God, I thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.